Welcome to today's episode of The Square. Today is a little bit special. Approximately, I don't know, three or four months ago, my wife came up and said, hey, I really want to go on a date night. Let's go to this Van Gogh immersive experience. And um, having had a little bit of experience working with immersive experiences, I honestly didn't have super high expectations. But we went and I was blown away. In fact, I was sitting there and she was irritated with me because I was like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to the people that designed this. And I was filming and, and taking pictures because I was just so blown away by um, just the thought and the intentionality that went into the design. And so I'm really excited to be able to introduce Brittany Block, who is the Senior Design Manager for Impact Museums and uh, had, a, had a big hand in my date night. Thank you very much, Brittany. <laughs> of course, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you enjoyed so it. <laughs> It was, it was, oh my gosh, it was so much fun. And I'm, um, I, I want to talk about that and some of the other work you've done. But before we get into that, let's just talk a little bit about you. Tell me, wh when was it that you first knew you wanted to be a designer? Oh gosh. Um, well, when I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, like every high school kid. And I was very logical about it. I put together my two favorite subjects. I really liked math and I really liked art. I was like, what does that equal? Equals architecture. <laughs> so I went to school for architecture yep. and partway through uh, my degree in architecture, I did a project that was based on a narrative, a, a piece of a narrative from a book. And I was blown away at how interesting that was to me. Rather than designing based on you know, where the sun is or the best view of a plot of land, I was designing based on a theme or a feeling. And so that was really the moment that I knew that I wanted to design for something other than the real world. Um, and that led me into the world of themed entertainment, which I haven't left. I thought I'd do architecture and uh, haven't left this world yet. So tell me a little bit about where your passion for design comes from. Where do you think it's rooted? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I think my passion for design, especially for immersive and, and um, physical spaces that people can experience, is the idea that uh, space and, and your experience of space is more than just the house you inhabit. Um, the design of a space that you are in can actually influence how you move through it or how you interact with it. Um, so I think that at the very base level, my what excites me about design and, and where that passion is rooted is in the idea that you can uh, shape how people feel or interact with the space just by changing the world and the environment that they're in. It's funny to hear that you kind of came from this idea of, of being in architecture because I think particularly with architecture, you there's people are rarely in a space only for that space. I mean, yeah. even when you're in, I think of the Windspear Opera House here in Dallas, you know, you're there for a performance and it's an incredible design. It's a beautiful experience, but you're there for something else. If you're in a hospital, you're there probably for a different reason than to enjoy right. the design of the hospital. When we're talking about the kind of experiential design you do, you're there for that design. Like it's no longer a context, it's the purpose. Yeah. Does that make you or how does that change the way that you design? Yes, yeah, so the there are the two different sides, the kind of base building architecture and the exhibition. And the base building is built to with the idea that the exhibitions will change 
um, and the you know scenery that we are using might come and go. The content is going to change, but the physical you know, the, the volume of space that you're in is not going to. So the exhibition layer is the layer that has a little bit more flexibility to change, which is part of what makes working in this so exciting is that you have this kind of permanent structure mixed with this more temporary idea that can, can shift dependent on the show that is there. So for the Frida exhibit, um, if you go, you'll see there's a couple new um, physical elements that are there, but Van Gogh is still running in tandem, so there's still some physical Van Gogh elements as well. But um, yeah, it, you're exactly right. It does the the space that you are in does change with the show, which um, is very different than say a hospital or typical architectural experience. Let's talk a little bit about the creative process that you kind of work through, because I, you know, as with any creative dry spells or or being creatively drained, it's just it's just part of the life. Um, but what, what do you do to kind of keep yourself inspired and, and when you're diving into a project, do you have a process that you use to kind of kickstart your brain? Um, I would say the process to, to kickstart my brain is different depending on the project. Um, what I really like is when you can start a project with a, at the very, very start with a creative charrette, get everyone's brains in the room, start talking about what is exciting to them about that idea. When you come to a roadblock, what I've really noticed with with myself especially and a lot of other designers I've talked to is that the only way that I've ever able to break out of that is by disengaging from the project for a minute. Whether that's going on a walk with my dog, going outside, watching a movie, reading a book, whatever that is to, to distract my brain because like all designers, you get sucked into the creative process and wanting to solve a particular problem. And all of a sudden you look up and it's been eight hours and you haven't moved from your computer. So sometimes disengaging and re coming back to it with a clear mind is the only thing that has worked for me successfully over and over again to be able to solve a problem that I was having before I disengaged. Tell me a little bit about the your role on these teams, you know, taking it from start to finish to walking through it as it's done. Yeah, it's um, very exciting. Um, the the process of kind of kickstarting some of these the venues for Van Gogh is a slightly different process than say uh, my work uh, at, on Omega Mart because it was so quick. It was a very quick turnaround. And we knew that in every venue, we wanted them to be as similar as possible. So from the start, we really are looking at the kind of aspect ratios of the gallery that we're using to project. Um, the creative team that we work with out of Italy has very specific thoughts on how high the ceilings should be, how high the projections need to go, the kind of best space that uh, is made to engulf you in these 360 projections. And then we also have a you know different set of parameters for the front of house experience, your kind of entry ex exhibition, and of course the back of house requirements. So at the very start, um, we already knew all of that because we were just kind of doing, trying to do the same thing in all of these different locations. But the hardest part is finding a venue. So mm -hmm. from the time we find a venue to the time that we open um, was a, a crazy amount of time. Um, yeah. It was a couple <laughs> months, which is uh, insanely fast to do anything that involves... Um, 
you know, design or construction. Yeah. So we were doing these TI buildouts um, very, very quickly. And walking through at the end of that is incredibly rewarding, especially on a project that, that, that is that quickly because three weeks ago you were looking at a model or a drawing of the space and all of a sudden you're walking through the real space. It's a yeah. lot, weirdly a lot more rewarding when it's quick than it is when it's a long, <laughs> long road. There's some of those aviation projects we've been a part of that it takes four years to see something actually like, you know, come out of the ground and be with it you can walk through. So I yeah. can, I can appreciate having something that has a relatively quick turn. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's dive in a little bit more into the Van Gogh exhibit. Tell me, you know, one of the things, there, there were two things that struck me right off the bat. Once you kind of move past the front of house experience, which was super cool, yeah. but then you, you get into the experience, um, you're struck with the music and you're struck with the visuals, but the visuals initially, like I've been in immersive experiences where essentially it's a four walled room, but what's on any given wall is the same as any other wall. Yeah. And I, I've the first, the thing that I immediately do, especially having done some of these 4d projection jobs, is I look for the seams, right? Yep. Because if you can find the seams, you can see, you know, w how quality the, the piece was. And I, it was, I was happily surprised. I couldn't find seams anywhere, even though some of these projections were two and three stories tall. They were going yeah. over balconies behind elevators and, and, and you still couldn't find the seams and it was not duplicated content. It was all, you know, content that absolutely related to each other, but it was not, you know, it wasn't tiled. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I, I'm guessing all of that was intentional, but it was also, I'm sure, uh, painstaking to get it all right. Yes. Yeah. And it also means that the the collaboration between the projection designers and the architectural side of things has to be perfect because yeah. they're working within, you know, a foot of tolerance, if that. Most of the time, it's just inches. And so on any typical project where you might need to move a thing here or there in the field, that's not necessarily the case on something like this because of exactly that. They are mapping and designing this content for the exact space that they're in, which means we can't change it. Once we say the wall is here, the wall is there because that's yeah. exactly how they designed their projection to be. Is there, you know, you, you, mentioned this being in multiple locations you know i experienced it in dallas i know that the corgan team in phoenix help you with the one in, in uh, phoenix yeah. is the design of the building and all the architectural elements the exact same building to building no it is um, very different um i'm glad you got to experience dallas because dallas is actually i think my favorite venue that we have because it's a historic masonic temple it's mm -hmm. the yep building itself is beautiful. Um, in yeah. Phoenix, for instance, we went into an old mall. So the space itself already felt completely different when we went in. And any mm. of the buildings that you go into, um, of ours especially, are completely feel completely different from each other, which is one of the things that I actually really like. You can go to the exhibit in to the experience in Phoenix. You can go to the one in LA and it is a completely different experience. The content of the projection and the projection show is the same, 
but your entry experience, the elements that are in the lobby, um, the entire building, everything feels like a completely different experience. So what was the process of the second part that kind of hits you when you walk in with the music? Because I literally on Spotify now, there's two different um, immersive, Van Gogh immersive playlists that I have yes. that I listen to all the time when I'm editing or, or doing other things. And it's the music was so well done. How how was the process of marrying that with the images and the design? Um, Massimiliano Sicardi, who is the, the projection designer, the kind of... Um, creative behind the whole immersive Van Gogh projection experience, worked with Luca Longobardi, and they created this soundtrack that is composed of classical and contemporary music. Yeah. And it may, it, when you hear it all together, it sounds, it sounds like they all, all of these songs belong together and match the mm -hmm. projection perfectly. It is a very impressive feat that they were able to to create this experience that feels seamless utilizing music from so many different categories so they are th that was something that they had started in their first installation in paris um, that they have then continued all the way through so that creative thought behind it on the projection and composition side was actually already completed before I came on board. So they, they as partners work very well together to come up with the soundtrack and content design. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because yeah. the songs that I, there were two different things there, the songs there, you could take one or two of the songs and they could be very different from each other, but the way they all fit together over the course of the yes. experience, took you on this roller coaster ride, not just of, you know, auditory stimulation, but really of emotion. When, when you're seeing some of the images of Van Gogh when it was obviously in his darker period and you're hearing, you know, some of the, the soundtracks that have repetitive music or that they have kind of a suspense feel to it. And yeah. it, it, it just, it all comes together so well. Obviously I'm a whole, I'm a huge fanboy now of this experience, but um, it just, it came together so well. Um, I, I am also curious. One of the things that I noticed, particularly in Dallas is that um, the floor was very much taken into account yeah. and the ceiling was left black. Mm -hmm. Is that because of the difficulty of trying to project onto a ceiling where everything is? Was that to give a space for there to be something that wasn't visually stimulating? Yeah, it's kind of both. Um, the The idea is that you are kind of sitting or, or sitting on the ground or walking around mm -hmm. the space, not necessarily standing and looking up to experience yeah. the show. Um, so there, in most of our venues and in Dallas in particular, you walk in and the idea is that your first galleries you go into have shorter ceiling height and are not projected on the floor. They all have this black glossy floor that kind of extends the feeling of the projection. So you feel like mm. there, the room is maybe taller than it is. And then you go through this kind of compression point into this huge gallery yes. that is yeah. even larger, more expansive. And in Dallas, it's just breathtaking because there's this central, um, you know, the elevator there and the stairs on the side. It's just really beautiful to look at. But the the idea of, yeah, the, going into a room that has only wall projection, then walls and floor, and not having to kind of crane your neck and lay down to experience it, but experience it in 300 degrees instead of 360. 
Absolutely. You know, it's so funny. I didn't even think about it looking back because I was looking at some of the videos I took in the final room that we're in where the projection is. You're absolutely right. It wasn't on the floor. It was that black. It was, there was there was that glossy. It has kind of a reflective quality to it. Yeah. But it, it was not projected. I hadn't even thought about that till you said it. Yeah. Now, I also noticed projected in the, in the main gallery, which is great. Yeah. In, in the big room, there were the white circles. Was that primarily like a, a covid concession or? Was that part of the creative? Yeah, that uh, both. So it, it originally was the idea to kind of allow space for people to feel safe during COVID. And it has mm -hmm. since kind of grown on everyone. So it's, it is something that we can take out um, pretty easily on the different venues if we choose to. But we've kind of grown accustomed to them. So a lot of us have been wanting, you know, we want to keep them in um, because they're now just a part of the overall look of the show too. Yeah, I, you know, it was crazy when you walk in that room, I think it could be so overwhelming, you wouldn't know where to experience it. And it was like those, just like you said, those circles gave you a place, a safe place. I, that was a great word to use, a safe place to experience yeah. it from someplace where your brain could be like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be now. I'm just going to let it kind of wash over me. Yeah. What were some of the thoughts behind what was chosen and what wasn't chosen when Maximilian was going through and thinking about the creative you know, the, what was going to be projected. What were some of the thoughts between what was chosen to be yeah. used and not used and what was chosen to be animated and not animated? Because you, you really blend those well. Yeah. So when Massimiliano um, approached this, this creative concept, what he was really thinking about is what Van Gogh might have seen at the end of his life, looking back on his life. So there's 40 different pieces of Van Gogh artwork that, is, uh, that are represented within the show. And he was really focused on what Van Gogh might have been thinking at the end of his life. So every piece that he chose and every way that he chose to animate or not animate something is through the lens of what Van Gogh might have been thinking at that time. I'm curious about the mirrors and the sculptures because there's different yeah. kind of 3D interactive, not not necessarily interactive, but tangible pieces yeah. that are in each room. Tell me a little bit behind the thought behind that. Yeah, so that is really the brainchild of our creative director um, in some of our locations, uh, David Corins, who is most well known for doing the set for Hamilton. Um, for, mm. So he he came on board as our creative director and had this great idea that in the two galleries that. <laughs> that are a not projected on the floor, he wanted to be able to create a little more of a three-dimensional element within there that is um, exactly as you said, a little more tangible, um, a little more of a physical object because you're so engulfed in this amazing media experience. It's nice to have that reflected on a physical object. So we chose mirrors so that you're not interrupting the view of and the experience of this beautiful projection design. You're enhancing it, but you're mm -hmm. creating a kind of a different way to view it. So the mirrored sculpture, the one that is my favorite is what we call the magical forest. It's the one you can kind of walk between and around. And yep. everyone loves that piece because you can, it's just it's so simple, but it's so beautiful, especially as the projections are reflected onto it and you're seeing yourself reflected back as if you're in the projections. It's, I, I really love that addition. Was, you know, uh, was the repeatability something that you guys thought about it? Was, I, you know, again, 
I think the whole loop is somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And we, uh, my wife and I sat, we, we were in the first room for maybe five or 10 minutes. And then we sat in the second room for, I think, two or easily an hour, yeah. just experiencing the full loop twice. And then when we went into the final room, which I think is where the, the magic forest is that you were talking about, we, we just kind of sat with our backs to the wall and just watched a whole nother loop of it. And it was something that you get something different out of it each time Absolutely. and in each space. And I, I'm, how did you go about thinking through the repeatability of that kind of an experience? Yeah, so that is definitely something that is built into the whole creative concept behind this is that you can go and experience just like you would a physical piece of artwork. You can go and discover something different about that piece of artwork each time you look at it, a different brush stroke, a different feeling it evokes within you. The same is can be said for the Van, immersive Van Gogh experience where you go and every single time you are, even now I've seen it a hundred times, but every time I go, I'm finding you know, another frame that I hadn't necessarily seen before. Or mm -hmm. last time I viewed this room, I was looking this direction. Now I'm looking this direction and I'm seeing a completely different view or a completely different animation than I have noticed before. And that elicits different feelings in you as well. There are a lot of people, you had mentioned earlier how, how kind of touching it is. And there are a lot of people that come and people, I've seen people cry. Um, we've had a lot of people yep. that propose in our different venues, which is oh, amazing. Like tons of people yeah. come to Mercer Van Gogh and propose to their significant other. But it just elicits a very emotional response from everyone. And I think that it's different, whatever your emotional response is, is different depending on the day you go, where you're looking and how you're feeling that day. Absolutely. Was through this process, because I want to make sure we get some time to talk about Omega Mart. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but to wrap up the Van Gogh, was there was there anything you felt like you you learned, or um, whether it's about Van Gogh or maybe even yourself as a designer and an artist through designing, you know, this experience? Really, what I think I've learned the most about is Van Gogh himself. Um, and really how sad his life was. He was this prolific artist that everyone knows today, but he was never, he didn't sell a piece of artwork in his life. And it's mm -hmm. incredibly sad to think about how, even the immersive Van Gogh experience, how amazing it is that it is all over the country. There's tons of different versions of it. Different competitors have popped up all over the place. It is so expansive. And Van Gogh himself never got to experience that fame in his life. So I think I've learned the most about just about him and his life and the amazing works that he created that no one got to see or appreciate while he was alive. You know, when I walked out of the immersive Van Gogh experience, it was one of those things you just feel you feel kind of inspired and you feel, you know, maybe overwhelmed, but but in a way that was um, I don't know some again somehow inspirational yeah that contrasted with Omega Mart which um we we had already started talking to you about doing this podcast and I had no idea that you had um uh, you know a big influence on Omega Mart and yeah. we just happened to be in Vegas for CES and um Chad Spees uh, somebody that we work with was like oh you got to go try this out it's it's amazing but the cool thing is is that there's a story wrapped in it and I know you guys are mm -hmm. story guys so we went expecting to be there for an hour ended up being there for three and um just got totally lost in the story but 
I left that experience just, and then you had to go sit in like a black room yeah. <laughs> for about a day because there was so, there was so, not sensory overload in a bad way. It was just so rich. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, and I, I will say, if you have not seen the Omega Mart experience, there's going to be some spoilers here. So, you, you know what? We'll just wait. Go ahead. Stop right now. Turn it off. Get on a ticket. Go to Vegas. Experience it. And then turn <laughs> us back on. We'll wait. Okay. Hopefully you did that. Um, but let's to tell me a little bit about the idea. I mean, the funniest part about this was, and it's, it's actually part of the story, um, is uh, where, and I forget the main character's name, but where she had to pitch the process of the idea of the... Um, the Omega, um, God, I'm, I'm completely failing on the names here, Brittany. You're going to have to remind me. But the, the, the story inside of the story, she mm -hmm. had to go and pitch it to the higher-ups inside the story. Yeah. And that immediately made me think of how did they pitch the idea for this as an installation to begin with? Yeah. So it's actually the idea of where Omega Mark came from is, is many years old because um, if, if you don't know Meow Wolf, who is the company that, that did Omega Mart, they started as an artist collective in Santa Fe, New Mexico, uh, probably about 12 years ago now. And when they had started, it was because it was a group of artists that really got sick of the idea of hanging pictures on gallery walls and that being how you experience art. So I wanted to break outside of this idea and started doing a lot more of these totally immersive experiences with different artists. And one of the things that they did in Santa Fe was Omega Bart. And what they, it's hilarious because they ran a bunch of newspaper ads and I want to say they even had commercials, but I know they had newspaper ads <laughs> that, that said, we're Omega Mart, we're a new grocery store coming to, to Santa Fe. And people in Santa Fe thought it was a real grocery store. This is sounding very War of the Worlds. Oh yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> people Wells. thought it was real. There were people that were, you know, different businesses that were upset. You can't put a grocery store here. And then when it opened, People, they treated it exactly like a real supermarket when it opened. You can buy you can buy real things in the yeah. you know they're they're always just a little bit off. Yes, but you can buy real things there. Exactly, and so the kind of original version of Omega Mart was of course a little more um, hand handmade. So there was all of yes. these you know weird meats that were wrapped in in saran wrap and put in the meat <laughs> section, and people were showing up going there to expecting to go to a grocery store and they're like what the heck is this so <laughs> the uh, omega mart had already existed and um when they when they got approached by area 15 to to be the anchor tenant they thought what a better way to yeah to reimagine omega mart than to do it in vegas one of the most you know biggest consumer capitalist cities of yeah. the world and kind of poke a little fun at that and that became the kind of idea behind Omega Mart being the anchor tenant in Area 15, which I think works so wonderfully. And you do, you have people walk in and they're like, what the heck is this grocery store? And it, yeah. I still, every time I go, I find new products that I'm like, I didn't know this one existed. And they're so funny. <laughs> well, and I mean, like literally, I, I think one of the projects, one of the products and we didn't actually hang out in the grocery store that much until yeah. the end mm -hmm. and I was like there was these different cans of liquid death and I go 
and it all it is is it's just cans of either water or soda yeah. water but i was like oh my gosh and i turned to one of the staff which we want to talk about staff in just a second yeah. our staff was like is this can we purchase this she goes yes we're a grocery store which still didn't really answer the question for me because she was very much in character but they would let you and i didn't realize until afterward that liquid death was you know a product you can buy other places but it was definitely something that fit the theme and and to that point the staff you know we we were there right at the beginning right when it mm -hmm. opened and we we walk in and there was a little bit of confusion to be honest right at first because we didn't realize the kind of the experience when you cross that threshold you're in the experience and the staff is very much in that experience oh yeah and um and so we walk in they're like well do you want the you know do you want um to just kind of hang out here or do you want to be able to to you know begin the investigation and we're like does 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 beginning the investigation cost more and she goes no every you know you're here to to I mean, anyway it just kept going and we didn't it didn't took us a little while to realize she was very much in character very much set in the story mm -hmm. but it very much you know i think there's there's sometimes there's a place to be eased into a story you just right here you're cross that threshold you're in it good yep. good bad and different and um and then the creative in terms of and i'll I'll add some some pictures to the to the video and the podcast. So if you're listening on the audio version, make sure you check out the video version. But there's, you know, in the for example, in the deli section where there's just this random cut and it's spread by six feet and they just it's like they drug the colors and you don't realize until you start to get into some of the deeper parts of the story and literally go behind the scenes mm -hmm. to discover that that's where a tear in time or, you know, a tear in reality happened. and. And so I'm, I'm just, I, I was so blown back by how much of it was motivated by story. I, I think probably the best way to start to tackle the idea of Omega Mart is to maybe tell us a little bit about what it is. You know, I, I, the, the history of the collective is, is great as context, but if yeah. somebody were to ask you, tell me about what Omega Mart is, what would you say? Because <laughs> I'm not sure how I would answer that question, and I've been there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually really hard to describe. And any Meow Wolf you go to, whether it's Santa Fe or Denver or Omega Mart in Vegas, it, there's nothing else like it. And that's what I like yeah. to tell people is you, it's really hard to describe. If I try to describe it, I like to say that it's a Disneyland without rides and without a cast mixed with an escape room, but not the idea that you have to escape, but more of the idea that there's a story behind it mixed with maybe a little bit of like haunted house feel because it is does have a little bit of a absolutely spooky feeling behind it. The, the first time I took my mom there, she kept saying, I'd say, look in the look in here and she'd go, is something going to jump out at me? And I'm like, no, nothing's <laughs> going to jump out. It's fun. But it does have this feel to it of a uh, little bit spooky. So I would say it's a mix. There's of a little sinister element to it. For exactly. Sure. A little bit. Um, you know, it's funny. It, it's it uh, not to be cliche, but while you're not physically, I think escape room is a great way to put it because you're not escaping a room. But you do you do kind of escape reality for a little while, especially yeah if you make the decision to kind of dive into the story and and the technology, there's definitely a technology element to it because, you know, the idea of the card and the NFC and being able to go to the different places and follow the story yeah. along in a, in a way that the technology, I, I love it when technology opens access to a story and doesn't get in the way of a story. And I think yeah. that, I think you guys really nailed it with that. Um, but there is still that escape room feel to it where, you know, the, 
the t-shirt column that you kind of go inside of and you can go to the top level or you yeah. can go behind the coolers in the in the um in the deli air in the uh, meat area so one of the areas that um i think really kind of the two areas really that stood out to me were the, when you go um through the lockers and mm -hmm. you're in this long hallway and you have four or five different rooms that all seem to kind of have their own theme yeah was when you were thinking about the design for this it's mm -hmm. kind of a chicken and the egg question which came first the story or the design or how did those kind of play together to get where you are today yeah so the process for uh omega mart specifically there was the overall idea of what the overarching story is the story of omega mart that there's this grocery store that dram corp is these kind of corporate overlords maybe they're good maybe they're bad not really sure yeah then there's this idea that there's a kind of resistance force that exists within that and there's this natural source that they are infusing into their products via a factory so these large what we call anchor spaces existed and the idea of what that how those all were connected so those spaces were able to be planned out in a you know, really rough idea. There's a two-story space here, the grocery store is here that you enter through. And then we would run a RFP for different artists to say, hey, we would like a, you to give us a proposal of what you would want your space to be if you had a room or a wall within Omega Mart, what would that be? So artists had an opportunity to say, I would want a 500 square foot room that is, you know, whatever dimensions make sense for their piece. I would put this on the walls. And from there, we chose a group of artists who we then fit into the spaces that we had once we had laid out these large areas. So Dramcorp, we knew would be different artist spaces. So we had the overall dimensions of the rooms and we were able to kind of pick which artists would make sense within that, both from an experience standpoint and from a logistical standpoint with where would their piece actually fit? Uh, because right. some, some places need, some of their pieces needed a larger or smaller space. As, as you start to kind of look at those anchor spaces, put the artist in their artwork in there. Mm -hmm. How did you balance that with blurring kind of the lines between fiction and reality? Because it, it, it's, a, it's a perfect balance. There's, you can really, there's places to lose yourself in it and mm -hmm. there's still the physical, like climbing up the rope through that back cave that yes. I almost got stuck in because I'm 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> um, you know, there's those elements that you, you're you still able to balance the fiction and the reality. How, how did that work? It's a it's definitely a delicate balance. Um, in Omega Mart, I feel like it was relatively um, a, a easier line because we had this whole anchor space that we call the factory um, that was a giant playground. So very, you know, there was, there's slides. Mm -hmm. um, there is that element that you're talking about that you can climb up. There's a lot of these more physical, tangible spaces that we also didn't want to get into anything that was too projection mappy because we had a mm -hmm. large space that was projection mapped. So right. the balance I think came from the overall idea of what the anchor spaces were. And it was a lot easier from that to determine maybe where could we have artists that make that 
that add to that and don't take away from what the actual large anchor space is. Um, and I think there's a, there, a good balance example of that is right off of the projected desert where this, there's this huge you know, projected space. There's a space right. called, um, I'm not gonna say the real name because we, we called it Dream Jungle. I think it's probably called something else now, but it's these white plants that are projected yep. on. So it's still yep. projection and it's still, it's next to this really large projected space but it's slightly different and it's connected in a really nice way to the space next to it. And that's uh, another way that, that we would determine, oh, it makes sense to have these artists next to each other or next to this anchor space because either thematically or um, in the materials that they used, we could tie them together in a nice way that leads from one room to another. What, you know, in, in thinking through that balance, you, you you really have to kind of cultivate this idea of, like I said, sensory overload. You you get right up to the line of it being too much, but you don't cross it. Yes. How, what was kind of the, I don't know, the guardrails or how you thought through the decision process of when it came to the artists and their mediums, what to have and what to cut back and to make it's not something that was so overwhelming that you, you lose the sense of the story. Yeah, it's definitely a, a hard balance and um, Spencer Olson who is the one of the uh, overall creative directors for the space he did a really good job of managing that um, really nicely where he knew what was important narratively to get across and where story should shine so in Dramcorp for instance it's a very narrative heavy anchor space all of the desks yeah. tell you a different story. There's the reception area that tells you um, a piece of the story as well. And then within that hallway, as you mentioned, there's a lot of these different artist rooms that don't necessarily tie into the narrative, but relate to the experience of these different worlds connecting to reality. So he had a very good sense of how to help manage that um, and when to let story shine and when to let the art shine. I was thinking as you were as you were talking about that, the room with the lasers in it. Yes. You know, I don't know how that necessarily specifically tied to the story, but it was one of my favorite rooms. And it it never it, it all felt very much part of the same family. It never yeah. felt like an oddball because it was it was it was such a, a cool a cool element. Um, yeah. The story itself, tell me a little bit about the, the creation of the story, because it is a relatively deep story. You literally have to go all over the space multiple times. I won't tell you that I got to one point. It was, it's, it's both my favorite part of the story and my favorite part of the staff, because I, had, um, I was waiting. I'm, I'm trying to be somewhat cryptic for those of you that didn't take my invite to jump on a plane and go to Vegas. Um, <laughs> But there was an element towards the end of the story where you had to find this one file on a computer. Mm -hmm. And I had thought that I had checked all of the different computers. So I go up to the top of the cave where the rope is. And outside there was saying, I was like, I, I was like, hey, just help me out here. What am I doing? And he goes, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But if I were to look for something, I would probably look here. So he's still helpful, but very much stayed in character. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the story has a depth where, you know, if you, you can't go and just blitz through it in 30 minutes. No. Like it, it's not going to keep you there all day. It is, it is doable, especially if you pay attention. But it's, it's something that requires some investment. Um, but it's an investment as a participant that you're only too happy to give. Um, how, does, how did you craft that story? 
Well, there is an entire team um, at Meow Wolf, the narrative team, that spent three years developing this entire narrative. It shows. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely shows. And it shows because even, even I, who worked on the more physical space of it the entire time, I only know the kind of baseline idea of what the narrative is because it is so in-depth. There are so many... I mean, you look at all of the different props that they've created. Um, there's handwritten books that all know. Oh, the detail is things. incredible. Oh, yeah, the detail is amazing, and it all it all has different things that relate to each other. It is never ending. And one of the things that really made me realize that is um, not at Omega Mart, but at the Santa Fe version, the House of Eternal Return, which is a completely different story. Um, after I had that was already built when I started working at Meow Wolf, and when I started there i went on a narrative tour of that location after i had already experienced it as a guest and i did the exact same thing you did i spent i think my fiance and i spent four hours there trying to take yep. apart the story and we we left thinking oh we got this we know the story we know everything <laughs> we're really smart and we left and then i went on this narrative tour and i came home and i was like we know nothing this is so <laughs> it is crazy like the wallpaper had different meaning of how it tied to yep. the story the detail on the table tied to it was it was just amazing to me how detailed the narrative team was and how they connected all of these different things I, they they're magicians with storytelling it is amazing well and i mean it comes down to like they're literally um the 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 you know really ancillary which you would think of afterthought type icons that are on some of the consoles that are like family <laughs> pictures and you they have nothing to do with the story but they make it a more round story because it feels like someone's actual console yeah right down to the the um the shop of one of the guys that was you know was, i can't think of the exact shop but it was between the desert and the and the omega mart area where there's pamphlets for different things and papers on desks and they're not not all of that stuff is glued down, but I think people get so into the story that they want to make sure they leave it for the next person that comes through. Yeah. Um, so I was, anyway, um, definitely go see it. I am curious, do you have a favorite area or vignette that is kind of your favorite spot? I do, yeah. There's a room that's uh, called, we called it Pulse, and it's by an artist named Claudia Bueno. And it is, if you were in the factory area, there's a room. Wait, off. is this the white room with it's, the colors? It's that, right next to the That is my white. favorite too. It's right next to the right, white room. Oh, it's, it's a little cube next to it. Yes, I know exactly yes. what you're talking about. Yep. Yes. And it is mesmerizing. And she basically hand painted 10 sheets of plexiglass per wall. And painstakingly, yes. it took them, month, I think, five it months. It looked like laser cuts in glass, yeah, but it wasn't. Yeah, but it was hand painted. Yep hand painted it and it's all of these different layers and it's lights around the outside and the lights yep. move and it looks like these pieces are moving it is i even though i know all of the intricacies of how it works and how yeah. she did it every time i go i'm still amazed at like I just don't believe that it is just lights moving and painted plexi. It is so yeah. beautiful. I had no idea that would that. I mean, it was s stunning to look at, but knowing that it was hand painted, we'll put some video of that in the uh, in the edit. But it's yeah. it was uh, it was incredible. That the room next to it, those and fun. In fact, the three or four pieces right around that area. Yes. While I loved the whole thing, that was my favorite area because you had the room with the glowing lights. That it was 
it was simple and complex at the same time. So it gave you a chance to kind of recover a little bit. Yeah. Um, certainly loved the, the, the plexiglass and the detail, the room that, um, had the geometric shapes that were coming in. Yeah. Um, and then the slide, the, the strobe. And I have video of like you one minute because of the way the strobes are set up one minute you're there and one minute you're gone and it's just you have no idea where you went and the fact that i'm six six and was able to fit into a slide definitely <laughs> made it more fun um i'm, I'm glad you were able to because the yeah, did get stuck halfway are, there yeah i mean that's a whole other challenge is you, they don't make slides for adults so trying to work no. with the slide manufacturer and say we want a slide for adults but also that works for kids is yeah that's a whole other complication <laughs> i can only imagine so so with with some projects and i'm sure there's many others that that you're working on yeah give me an example of something that you a story or an environment that you that you want to tackle that you haven't yet oh i probably have way too many to but um, <laughs> let's i'll do a story and an environment so um, at Meow Wolf, we got to, at Omega Mart, we got to do uh, a desert, a, you know, carved rock work mm -hmm. desert that is, which is all hand carved by rock work artists, which is amazing. But we That's were awesome. able to do this really beautiful, natural environment inside. And with the experience of the room right next door to it, Dream Jungle, that I was talking about with the white plants projected on it, I would love to do a forest version of um of it, an inside forest version of the projected mm. desert um whatever that might mean but i love the idea of a forest inside that yeah is, that would be cool yeah very cool all right really. so what's the story uh and the story i'm i'm a huge true crime junkie i love all <laughs> of those stories if i could do anything to do with true crime or cults or anything like that I would be all over it. <laughs> so some cult that lives in a forest and we have just kind of hit the home run then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. It's been an absolute blast. I highly recommend if you're able to go to um, either Omega Mart or one of the other Meow Wolf uh, installations, I have no doubt you'll be blown away. We'll make sure to put links to everything in the description below. Thank you so much for um, watching this episode. If you got this on the audio podcast, and I don't say this often, go back and watch us on the video because you'll get to experience some of the amazing artwork and colors and even sounds that went into these immersive experiences. Until the next square, we'll see you then.